0: Welcome to the very first episode of Grown-Up. I'm your resident grown-up, well, most days, Avery Moore Kloss, and thank you for tuning in to our very first episode. Let's get started, shall we? I remember growing up, all I wanted was to be a grown-up, now I'm grown-up. point in their lives, every kid is asked this question. What do you want to be when you grow up? When I was asked that question as a kid, I would beam because I knew exactly what I was going to say. I was going to be a journalist. How does a seven-year-old get to journalism? You know, instead of the old standbys, vet, teacher, lawyer, doctor, princess. Well, I had a teacher tell me once that I was a great actor and I was a good writer, so I should be a journalist. Makes sense, right? And I clung on tight to that forever. And I will say I became just that, a journalist. But I woke up one day years later and I found myself as a daily news reporter who had never really explored what it meant to me when I said I wanted to be a journalist or how many different ways I could reach that goal. Or honestly, how hard it would be. Years of court reporting, standing for hours in the cold at police standoffs, rewriting press releases, all took its toll. I was toast. I was burnt out, I was dejected, and I honestly felt like I totally failed. I disappointed that kid who saw my future so clearly. When I left my daily news reporting job a few years back, it felt like a big blow. A blow to my ego, to my creative outlet, and a big blow to my identity. What the heck was I supposed to do now? I'd been saying since I was seven or eight that I was going to be a journalist, and now all of a sudden, that part of me seemed like completely cut out of the equation. Honestly, I was heartbroken. What I've learned these past few years, though, is that the road from what you say you want to be as a kid and where you end up winds and jogs and twists and turns, and that's okay. It's normal and it's necessary. And that is what grown up is for, to check in on those little dreamers and see what they're up to now. Here we go from what do you want to be when you grow up to so did it turn out like you'd thought? our first victim, Derek Botten. I can pretty much guarantee that though you may not know Derek's name, you've heard his voice once or twice. Or at least a voice like his. Intrigued? How about I just let Derek introduce himself, since this is what he does.
1: My name is Derek Botten. When I grew up, I wanted to be not in trouble anymore. (laughs) Now, I am a voiceover artist. It's a freelance thing, and I find my own work and uh, perform my own work, and I am my own boss. Cow number one was a special cow. She was, as the number suggests, the first calf ever born on our farm. I voice in a day anything from commercials that you'll hear on the radio to uh, audiobooks. I've got a few of those on the go. To explainer things, if you ever get a DVD that has instructions on something when you're about to build it. Uh, anything like that, I, I do any of those things. Presentations that would would come on a PowerPoint. Uh, anytime you hear real human voice, somebody like me would have recorded it.
0: And now, before we get into my conversation with Derek, a 20-second history of the job. Listen, I just lied to you. It's going to be at least 30 seconds, maybe a minute. And I'm totally not sorry about it. The very first recording of the human voice was a 10-second fragment of the French folk song "Au Claire de la Lune, recorded by Edouard-Leon Scott de Martinville in 1860. Did I get that? Did I flub that? Moving on. So, how did we go from this...
1: ...to this? How about radar grams you can actually recognize? Measure asphalt thickness. See dowel bars alignment. And map rebar depth.
0: 46 years after that hard-to-hear recording, the beginnings of broadcasting the human voice across the airwaves came in 1906, when Canadian inventor Reginald Fessenden recorded a weather report to be broadcast to ships off the coast of Boston. Radio was born. As the communication gained popularity, so did voice acting. From commercials to radio plays, audiences began to hear voices over the airwaves. Voices with legs, as Derek would say.
1: Tonight, Canada Drive, the champagne of ginger ale presents a series of programs to advertise the new made to Water Canada Drive, which you can now buy by the glass, at drug Another
0: five-minute mystery. In recent times, as the freelance economy has expanded, so have the number of people supporting themselves with their voices... There are now numerous companies with the sole purpose of connecting businesses, authors, animators, and more with a voiceover actor exactly suited for their job. One of those companies, London, Ontario based Voices.com, commissioned a study that showed by 2015, VoiceOver was a $4.4 billion business. That's big business. And that was four years ago. One of the people catching a slice of that sweet voice work pie. Is my friend Derek Botten. Please enjoy our conversation about going from a gregarious young Monty Python mimicker to a business owner with a voice in the game. (laughs) Okay, Derek, thank you for being on Grown Up. It's nice to test my idea on you.
1: Grown Up. Oh, no. So I'm the before example of that, right? Because I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up.
0: (laughs) Which is totally allowed. It's kind of said in a tongue-in-cheek way. uh, Because I think, honestly, we are always changing and growing, and I still want to be an adult when I grow up. I don't really feel like an adult either. I don't think we're ever, ever grown up. But this idea that when you're a kid, someone's like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, there's got to be a midpoint there somewhere where you think, maybe I figured it out.
1: I don't want to be an adult. To me, adult is is synonymous with boring. I, I want to always be discovering. I want to always have adventures. I want to always learn new things and be in new places. So, to me, I'm going to be an adult. That's like when I was a kid and I looked at my my grandparents. It was like, nah, I don't want that. That looks dull. Eating arrowroot cookies and you know watching bingo on television. That's not for me.
0: Well, you know what? I think the point we're trying, I'm trying to make here too. If kids are listening or teens or, you know, young adults or whoever, is that being grown up doesn't necessarily mean you become less cool. Right? Doesn't it?
1: I, you know what? I don't even know what cool is anymore. And I don't particularly care to be thought of as cool. To me, I just want adventure. I want to learn. I have a, I've always had a thirst for knowledge and I really like doing things that allow me to discover new things. Um, Whether you get good at it or whether you become a, a, a better person because of it, I don't know. But it keeps me moving forward.
0: Okay, so you're a voiceover artist. Where would you say that the love of voicing or voices or, you know, impressions, you're so good at impressions, that kind of stuff. Like, where did that come from?
1: A sense of play. Bottom line. Years ago, I, I spent a lot of years in radio, doing radio broadcasting. And, and that way, I thought in doing that, I enjoyed it because I could become a different person. I could become a different character. I could, and I would learn and I'd interview people and I'd learn different things that I hadn't got a clue about before. And it was an awful lot of fun. Um, when I left the radio business, I thought, well, I can use some of this training, um, and, but I'm working for myself and it'll be, it'll pay me to go and play. And playing is reading to me. I, I just I, I derive enjoyment from it. It's not a chore, um, and so if I could get paid for reading every day, well, what a great life that would be! Oh, wait, it is.
0: What do you like as a kid? Based on who Derek is now,
1: I don't know that I was always entertaining in that sense. I wasn't didn't need to be the center of attention. I just liked to play. I like to have adventures. We we had a, trees in our yard. We climb them. We'd run our mo- our bicycles all up and down. We just find fun things to do and it was often because this was back when the earth was still cooling it was often it wasn't some of the distractions that there are now and it was a sense of adventure and a sense of of playing it was a sense of being somewhere else and inventing things
0: and so where do you start realizing that you can mimic or that you can make you know your voice do different things where along the path of you know that play are you are you finding your voice
1: I came from a family of six kids and we all got along, which not all families do. And we loved to laugh and to make each other laugh. And I think that came, that sense of humor came from my parents. Um, Early on, I think we discovered Monty Python and we would do Monty Python skits to each other. And that was immediately just play acting. Again, you do it and you don't think anything of it until somebody outside the family hears you and go, wow, hey, you're really good. I've heard that. No, 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 go on. It was just me being a bit of a goof. <laughs> and I, my mother was English, too, so we always had the, the uh, dialect and the accent there to, to play off of. But, yeah, that's a, it was just a sense of playing and not realizing that it could actually be used for something.
0: Yeah, so I guess dinner at the Bottons is um, gregarious. I don't know what the word for that is.
1: <laughs> yeah, gregarious, nuts, crazy. It was a, a bit of a gong show. when Sometimes when one of the siblings would have a friend over for supper, They'd kind of be looking with big eyes at everybody and go, what is going on here? It was, so it was just a, it was a playful time.
0: That's cool. Okay, so then you go to, go to college. You went to Fanshawe College in London, right? I did. And where did you start?
1: I started in automotive, in, in automotive parts, because I thought, well, if I get into it doing the parts thing, that's not being underneath somebody's car. That's just using my knowledge of cars and mm-hmm. like working in a parts store. I kind of like that idea, being around cars, but not having to work on them. Uh, And then I did that for a while, and I got a job immediately in a factory after that. And I thought, no, no, this isn't it either. I got to go back. So I was literally looking through the course calendar at Fanshawe. And I went, oh, radio broadcasting. Wait a minute. It was like music and talking to people and fun events and stuff like that. And I kind of went, well, that looks like a fit. It looks like it's playful. And so that's what I did.
0: So do you feel like along this journey of, you know, radio, I mean, you've spent, what, like 40 years in broadcasting almost? 35ish but yeah I'm I'm aging you up sorry <laughs> Do you feel like there's always been this duality between you know this gearhead kind of like love of cars and motorcycles and that kind of stuff and and this love of broadcasting How does that kind of play into your journey from college through to where you are now
1: Um I don't get bored <laughs> I don't get bored very easily I for instance I uh along the way along the years I was an announcer at the drag strip, the trackside guy. So I was always around cars, and yet I got to use the, the, my broadcast training in conjunction with being around cars. It was the best of both worlds. And I'm still a NASCAR freak. I'll watch it all the time or, or any time. I, I a conversation that you're having with me will get interrupted if a <laughs> car goes down the street or a motorcycle. There, there's room for everything. There's room for everything.
0: You kind of mentioned earlier to me that you know this idea that not making your passion for cars what you do for a living. Tell me about that decision, that decision that like maybe it's not the best thing to take what I love so much and, and use it as my tool for making money.
1: If I had to tell me, a teenage or early 20-something version of me about that what you've just asked me, I would say, dash it all. Go do what you love. Truly go do mm-hmm. what you love. And if you're, you know, you you're the... If you do what you love, you never have to work a day in your life. It's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like a lot of my time in radio, it just doesn't feel like it's been work because it's been fun. But it also has supported my gearhead habit and and paid for the motorcycles and old cars that I've had. So to me, I haven't missed out on anything. I just chose this path and made everything else work around it.
0: Tell me about radio because radio, I mean, I come from radio too for, I mean, less time than you were in broadcasting. Radio is can be a fickle business, and so what's the you know what are the challenges as you go through radio to you know during your career that you know what's the really hard part of about being in that industry?
1: I can remember when I was at Fanshawe, the the um, radio station that we had there, Six X, it was called at the time. It was an adult contemporary. We played gentle music and things like that. And yet, I remember when the first Molly Hatchet album came out. A couple of us would sit in the production studio and just yank it and rock and roll and then go back to playing nice, sweet songs on the radio. So you can't always get your own way. If you get a job in, in radio and it's not maybe the format that, that appeals to you 100% all the way, um, you'll have to get your yah yahs out on your own time. The fact that you're being around music and helping to promote music and talk about it, which if you ask anybody in radio, I think they'll tell you they have a passion for it. Um, but you can't always have it all your own way. I remember being at FanChon, and I was saying, I want to start a rock and roll station. Didn't have to. The time I got out, there were some. And I've had the good luck to work in some along the way, but not always.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, something that occurs to me about radio is that, you know, what people say is it's almost a rite of passage in radio to get fired, Especially if your personality, right? Maybe less so in the news. In the news, it's like you get the budget cut and like someone's got to go. But this idea that, you know, it's based on your talent and, and what direction people are going for, how difficult is that? Like, I, I, I don't, have you been fired from radio before?
1: Yep. Twice. Twice. Yep. First time was 25 years ago. And it was just um, a creative difference between the program director and I. And that's long and short of it. All we do is shake hands and go, we're just going to go different directions. And that one was fine. My last job in radio, I was blindsided. I was I was told one day, I was called into the office and was told, we're going to make some direction changes and they don't include you. As simple and as cut as that, it, it was. that's all I knew. And they walked me out the door. It's like, but what did I do wrong? And a lot of us in the performance world tend to to have little fragile egos. We need reinforcement. We need that. A lot of us people like that are drawn into the business of radio because it allows us to. Sure. Um, so we, we do tend to be sensitive and, and that to me, to this day, four years later, mystifies me.
0: You know what though? The sensitivity is only human at the same time because it's it's one of the only jobs where like what you're hired for is almost who you are, how you engage with people, the way you talk, the way you think. So I can totally see how like, you know, they're like, we're moving in a different direction. You're like, well, what's wrong with, you know what's wrong with my direction. You know if you if you're fired at some job because you know your your output is not enough or uh, you know you they're they're cutting the budget and you know it's just straight numbers and someone's got to go. But I mean that's got to be something. You know that's got to hurt more. This like you were moving in a different direction and your personality and the way you talk to people. That's not where we're going with that right
1: well that's it because if they said you know we need somebody that doesn't wear ripped jeans to work every day or you have to wear a suit and tie Mm -hmm. you go okay now i get to choose if this is what i want if this is what i have to do for this job i get to choose if that's what i would do for this job but not when you're told because it comes off like we don't like your personality is the way your your mind filter reads it as we don't need you around here we're going to find somebody else somebody that does something better it's like well what, what am i you know
0: you know, it is one of the only jobs too, where they could say that to you: "Hey, we don't need you, and we're going to replace you with someone." And in most businesses, you can't actually even legally do that. Like, right? You can't say, uh, "You're okay, but we think we can fire you and find someone who does some does exactly what you do better." Yep. It's 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 such an interesting business, I think, that people don't realize. But let's talk about so your last job in radio. You get blindsided. What's the what's the decision making process between there and where you are now? to not go back into radio, to to go a different direction?
1: Um, I think having found my legs, as it were, uh, by being self-employed, I, I wouldn't trade that for having to go to work for a company or a boss totally. or a format or clock in at certain hours because I was doing a morning show. So you're up at three o'clock in the morning and you're doing ridiculous hours. Now, if I want to stay up till 11 o'clock at night, I do. If I want... If I want to sleep in till six, I do. It's just I have a lot more control and I feel a lot more power um, doing it my own way. The downside of that or the other side of that is if I don't produce, if I'm not making any money at the end of the week, it's all on me. So, you know, you can't, you can't have it both ways. You either have the freedom and have to go out and get it yourself or uh, you're under, this, under somebody else's direction.
0: I think one thing I think a lot about radio because I was in it is this idea that it almost, because it's a, quote, cool job, it's really easy for it to be folded into, like, your identity. Someone says, oh, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm the morning guy on, you know, whatever FM. And I think the same struggle happens with entrepreneurs. This idea that, like, what I do is who I am. My business is my baby. You know, I got to wake up in the morning and I don't stop working until I close my eyes at night. Have you, do you see a difference in, in how ingrained... Um, voicing or radio has been like as part of who you identify as I mean has that changed going from radio into owning your own business and and doing rate and doing voice acting from home
1: yes to a degree because what the my output is not Derek dependent they're not looking for Derek to do this they're just looking for a voice with feet they're looking for somebody that sounds like this. And it could, if it's not me, it could be one of any other number of people that have applied for it. So it's not Derek getting these jobs. And therefore it's not, I don't feel like it's, I get all filled up with, well, it's because of me. It's mm-hmm. not. It's I, I'm providing a service. I'm a commodity. And, I am anonymous, basically. Mm-hmm. I'm, when I do these audiobooks, I mention my name once at the beginning, but nobody who's listening knows who I am. So it's not, I can't say yes. It's because of me that they're... Ah. You, you get that a lot in radio. You get a lot of people who they're standing in front of a crowd introducing a band and they think right. that the applause is for them and that's a really misguided sense of... You get a really misguided sense of ego. Totally. They're applauding me. No, they're not. They're here because you're the voice with feet that's going to... Their favorite band is coming on in a minute. So the anonymity of doing what I do is really humbling. Because, again, so... And here's a guy with 30-odd years, 35 years of experience, and I'm applying for jobs. I'm in a cattle call with one of 100 people.
0: Now, when you tell people... I mean, I had this when I was a reporter. People would say, Oh, what do you do? And you're like, Oh, I'm a radio reporter. And they're like, Whoa, that's cool. And I feel like both gigs you've had... You probably get that. um, Do you still get that now? If someone says, "What do you do?" I mean, it's an awful question to ask someone. It's you know such a basic question. But if someone says, "What do you do?" and you say voiceover actor, I mean, is that something where they're like, "Whoa, what is that?" You know, what do you get from people when you tell them what you do?
1: Probably, I get people thinking, "Really? What is that? You can make a living doing that? What do you mean?" What do you mean you don't have to put pants on and go out of the house every day to go to work? And I don't. I, I have this room, this studio set up that in my house. Some days my truck doesn't leave the driveway. Some day for three or four days it won't leave the driveway because I'm inside doing my thing. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like it. Like, it takes the pressure off. I don't have to be anybody. I don't have to dress a particular way. I don't have to answer to anybody. Okay. Yet, and make no mistake, sometimes I work more hours up here in my little studio than I ever would, than any department of labor could ask me to work at a job <laughs> yeah. because I want to get something done or I've, I've, you know, something else has happened or I give myself too short of a deadline. There's, there's always pressures and stuff, but it, it's self-imposed and that makes all the difference.
0: I think people's misconception, and tell me if I'm wrong, would probably be, oh, you're voice voiceover actor, so you voice cartoons. Is that what people think? Or what do people think when you say voiceover? Or what do they think you're talking about?
1: The first thing that would be, comm- so you do commercials. Mm. Mm, yeah, okay. But anytime you hear a human's voice and you don't see a human in front of you, somebody like me has done voiceover. And whether, because it- truly cartoons, um, video games, audiobooks, presentations on CD, different things um, on websites. You go on and there's there's a commercial on a website. Television, there's all kinds of different Ways to use a human voice that, uh, I and I don't know that people. It's not that big of a deal in people's lives that they sit down and wonder who does that. That must be a guy like him right. called a voiceover artist. Nah. So it's probably when people approach me about it, it's more because they just don't really understand what that is.
0: Yeah. What's a really bad day in voiceover artistry look like? What's I mean, and, and how often does it happen?
1: The bottom line is, it doesn't happen often enough to. To turn me away from it is, mm-hmm. is the bottom line. Um, a bad day is is a picky, picky, picky client going, yeah, I didn't like the way you'd said that word. I want you to do it all over again. Or I know I told you I wanted um, <laughs> yeah, a gentle, gentle target. excitement, <laughs> but I think more I want uh, an Irish guy doing a command. And again, it's as a service business because if it wasn't me doing it, it'd be one of another uh, crowd of people that have been auditioning for it. So... Okay, I'll do this. I want you to work with me. I want to be thought of as fair. I want to be a considerate guy. Um, And that's the way I conduct myself. Some people would just go, no, you're not, that's just my read. That's what I do. I'm not going to do it any other way. Those people are either really rich already, or they're not going to get a ton more work.
0: So what are the days where you're like, yes, this is like the best thing I could be doing. I want to keep doing it. Like when's the invigorating stuff? What comes up when it really like fuels the fire to keep going?
1: lots of work bottom line but my job is to audition that's what i do i get up in the morning and i go i'm going to audition for a lot of a lot of stuff today if i can and the payoff is somebody actually turning around and going yes derek we'd like you or yes voice with feet we want you we'll pay you money to do this <laughs> read these words for us and you kind of go I, I did a little bit of time in sales along the way and the the actual the zip you get from Somebody going, yes, I'll buy that from you. Yeah. It's the same thing here. Yes, I want you to do this project. It's like, ooh, it's a charge. Somebody's going to give me some money. Um, so that's, that's the payoff. And it's, it, there's, there's enough of those along the way to make me keep coming back for more and doing, uh, doing a lot of auditions
0: how often are you thinking about the people who are hearing what you're doing while you're doing it? You know, like I, I know it's really probably easy to get caught up in like, oh, what does the client want? And how do I fix this? And am I hitting the target? But how often do you kind of sit back and think, okay, what I just, you know, that book I just read, someone's hearing that book and they're, they're learning from this book and maybe they're getting inspired by this book. I mean, how much does that come up for you while you're in the kind of the weeds of doing the work?
1: Every period, single period, time period. Really? Yeah. Good. Because, cool. and I had some I, years ago in radio, um, early mentors said, uh, put a picture of somebody, whether it's your mom or your best friend or your girlfriend, put it in front of you and talk mm-hmm. to that person. Don't stand up on a, th- on a soapbox and go, hello, fellow citizens, I'm trying to tell you about this. Because that just, nobody wants to hear that. Yeah. And the same thing now, when I'm doing, a, when I take a piece of copy, when I get a page of script in front of me, I'll go, okay, who am I? What situation am I in? And what am I trying to connect with who I'm talking to? Because I'm either trying to sell you something or Mm -hmm. tell you a story or communicate something to you. And I have to know who you are before I know what I'm saying or how I'm saying it. So every single time, it's like embarking on a. It's like sitting down having a conversation. I'm talking to you now. If I was talking to a guy that I play baseball with, it might be a little bit of a different conversation And then if I'm talking to somebody's grandmother, Mm -hmm. the audience matters how you communicate and how you speak to them.
0: And do you think that's something if like voice work went away tomorrow or something happened to your voice or whatever, is, is that the same goal that you have? Like if you moved on to something else or if you're just out in the world, is this connect with people, entertain people, help people learn? Do you think that that continues past voice work?
1: I can only speak for myself and I say yes. To me, that's the core of what I do. I, I'm, I'm a guy that will help anybody that needs help. I, I would go out of my way because it makes me feel good to feel like I'm contributing, you know? To, I, I've, done, I've done some counseling, been on the counseling end of it, and it feel, you don't know whether any of it's going to stick ever, but when you, when you leave that, you go, well, hopefully I gave them something that they can take, take with them. Totally. Yeah.
0: I think that one of the uh, the points I'm trying to make with Grown Up, um, you know, to anyone listening, but especially to younger people listening, is this idea of, I think we actually, and I asked you, you know, in, in our intro is, you know, what did you want to be when you grew up? but actually, like sneakily, what I'm trying to do is turn that around and say, we actually shouldn't be asking kids what they want to be when they grow up. We should be asking kids what the contribution they want to make when they grow up is. Because just to get on my soapbox for a second, you know, even from my, my point of view with journalism, you know, when I was seven, I said, I want to be a journalist. And you know, does a seven-year-old really even know what that means? Probably not. Um, but that becomes so much a part of your identity. Everyone says, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a reporter. I want to be a journalist. And then all of a sudden, you end up at a point where you're doing the thing you always said you were going to do, and you're not actually quite sure why you want to do it, right? Whereas I I have this belief that says, if I as a kid said, when I grow up, I want to tell stories that connect people, leaving journalism wouldn't have been so hard or maybe leaving daily news reporting wouldn't have been such a like a blow, you know, blow up my life kind of feeling because all of a sudden you're leaving something that's like so connected to your identity. Um, So I think what I, that's exactly it is what I want to talk about, you know, tell, you know, talk to young people, talk to people who are deciding what they want to do, talk to people who are changing careers. What's the contribution you're making and what are the jobs that can fulfill that, right? So maybe my question to you is, if you're talking to a high school class, vaguely veiled what you about what, what you do and you know how you get there, what's your what's your advice to them about, you know, that core value that they should be looking for or, you know, what they should be trying to achieve as they grow up and as they grow into these jobs and change jobs? What's what's the advice that, you know, would have kept you going had someone told you at, you know, seventeen and twenty two and thirty one?
1: I think the thing is to drill down and figure out what your gift is. Everybody has a gift and figure it out what it is and use it. Don't shy away like I did say, I'm not going to go into this because of that. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. And you might find in, in taking that path that you discover something else that really is a, is a fit for you.
0: One of the questions people will always have with any job where you're working for yourself is, you know, does this make you money? How much money are you going to make? Um, and... You know, whether or not that's the, the goal, but what, what do you, what's your answer to that kind of question? You know, if someone was to say to you, um, oh, you know, you're making enough money off this to survive or what's, where's the goal?
1: I would say the short answer is I'm, I'm making less money than I made in radio right now. But if you look at my girth, you'll see that I don't miss too many meals. So somehow it's being taken care of. You know what, if I had to, to say to, to anybody that was looking at whether it was broadcasting or voice work or whatever, forget for the money. Or for any job, for the money. Don't do it for the money. You will get by. You, it will happen. You're, you'll have a far more sense of satisfaction and accomplishment getting by doing what you love to do. Rather than being in a, a thin, shallow existence where you compromise things, working for the man because this much money comes with a paycheck every week. It's just not worth compromising and, and basically selling out yourself for, for that, in my opinion.
0: Well, and then I think the payoff, your level of success or if you've reached success is based on, you know, what's what's the take home when you do your taxes at the end of the year rather than how does this make me feel, right?
1: Yeah, truly, it's, it depends how you define success. And I would encourage anybody to really look at what they define success for themselves at if it's seeing a child smile or having somebody shake your hand and go thanks for that i really needed that help as opposed to here's a sack of cash you idiot i hope you find somebody else to to do that for to me there's just no there's no comparison doing it is far more enriching than the actual number of shekels that come with it
0: i think that's a good place to stop thank you for being on grown-up thanks for having me do you feel like you're a grown-up I don't feel like I'm grown up. I don't know what I want to be when I
1: grow up. Please, I just want to have fun. That's all. <laughs> well, I
0: think you've achieved that. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. Grown Up is created, recorded, and edited by me, Avery moore and my company, Folktale Studio. Theme music by Coop, Other music in this episode by Airtone featuring MWIC. Portions of this episode were recorded at one of my happy places, the Switch Podcast Studio at Wilfrid Laurier University in downtown Brantford, Ontario. To keep up to date on what's coming next, follow us on Instagram or Twitter at GrownUpPod or me at Kloss. Over on our social channels, we'd love to hear from you about what you do and the contribution you're hoping to make in the world. Or just share some funny cat memes. That totally works too.